Well, all of us in this room, we share an invaluable possession that goes with us wherever we go, but amazingly, it also goes wherever we're not. Furthermore, you think, what you think of this prized possession is not necessarily what others think of it. Today I speak to you about reputation. You know, your reputation is the estimate or evaluation that you have of your character, your integrity, your standing as a person. It may be good or bad, it could be positive or negative, but be assured of this, we all have a reputation. I have learned that people are always, no, I wouldn't say always, people talk about us. They talk about you, they talk about me. They're always watching us. That sounds creepy, uh, but it's not creepy. Unfortunately, sometimes it's gossip and it's things that are untrue, but it's our reality. We all have reputation. People are always watching us. You can change your reputation, but you can never escape reputation. It precedes you, it goes with you, it follows you all the days of your life and beyond. It is what you leave behind when you head to glory someday. Charles Spurgeon, who is the prince of preachers, as he's called, writes about the importance of reputation, especially for those who follow Christ. And this is what he says. He says that the eagle-eyed world acts as a policeman for the church. It becomes a watchdog over the sheep, barking furiously as soon as one gets astray. And he says, be careful, be careful of your private lives. And I believe your public lives will be sure to be right. Remember that it is upon your public life that the verdict of the world will very much depend. And so with this idea of reputation in mind, I give you three questions, introspective questions to consider today in our time together. Those three questions are, what do you perceive about yourself? What do you think about you when you think about you? How do others, secondly, perceive you? How do you think others see you? And then thirdly, is how do you think God sees you? What does God think about you? And I want you to keep these questions in your head as we approach four different men that we find in the short letter here in John. This is the final letter that John writes to the churches in the area of Asia Minor. All three of these letters that we have walked through would have been written over the course of maybe 15 or 20 years, somewhere in between AD 80 and AD 95. Some believe that this third book of John, this third letter of John, might be the last book written in the New Testament written after John receives the vision of the end of times in the book of Revelation. And what is interesting about this letter, this letter of 3 John, was that it's written to one unique individual named Gaius. Now John's letter, as they move from 1, 2, and 3, are spoken to an increasingly narrow audience. We start out in 1 John with John communicating a concern that he has for the entirety of the churches in the area of Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. 
There is a concern that he has with false teachers who are undermining the work of the apostles, John included in that, that they have worked to build up those churches, and he writes to them so that they know that they have action, that they have right knowledge. They know what to do. And then in John's second letter, he writes it to a specific church. John's second letter is to a specific church, and we know this from the address when it says, to the elder of the elect lady, if you look back in 2 John. The elect lady is God's bride, his church. That's the lady that he's referring to. And then in this third letter, we see John addressing it to one individual named Gaius. And in this letter, we will read and come to know more and learn more about four people. Four people in the letter of John. The first that we meet is a man named Gaius. And we'll call Gaius a man with the right balance. He's just good company. And then we'll meet this interesting character, Diotrephes. And we'll call him a man with a harmful agenda. And then we read about Demetrius. Demetrius is a man with a good testimony. And then lastly, we learn more about this author, John, a man with a pastor's heart. And so that's our timeline today. We're going to walk through the intricacies of the four people that we meet in John's last letter as we consider our own reputation to this world. So would you pick up your study journals with me and look in 3 John or your own Bibles or you can follow us along on the screen, but let's just read this chunk of scripture together. Starting in verse one, it says, the elder to, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You, do, you will do well to send them out on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. And so if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. Not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church." Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God, and whoever does evil is not from God, has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I, had, I have much to write you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. And so we meet this guy right in the beginning named Gaius. Now there are several men 
in the New Testament that are named Gaius. If you read the book of Acts, you'll find a man named Gaius. If you read Paul's letter, you'll, you'll see two of his traveling companions are named Gaius. Now, this isn't the same Gaius. Gaius is a very common name in the Roman Empire at this time. It's much like the term Jim. This is just another Jim. We believe this to be a different Jim. This is a different Gaius that we're talking away about. And from the way that John writes, it seems that Gaius occupied a position of leadership in this church, that he was either a pastor or a deacon or an elder. And John knew him on a personal level as well. If you look at verse 1, he writes with warmth to my elder, my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. When he calls him dear friend, this is a term of affection, a term of love that he has for him. Later, he'll refer to Gaius as one of his children, which may mean that Gaius came to Christ under John's ministry. John says that he loves them in the truth, the truth of who Jesus is and and what Jesus accomplished is the context of their love for each other. The love that we share is grounded in the truth that we are committed to. And John says several things about Gaius that are worth us noting today. First, it says that he was spiritually healthy. If we look at verse two, that Gaius may have been physically unwell, and so John prays for his health, that he would find good health. John isn't so holy or so spiritual that he doesn't pray for the practical things in life or his friends. He prays for his physical health. But whatever infirmity that is affecting Gaius, we can see that his spirit is aglow. He's vibrant in his spirit from the way that John talks about him. He may have also been poor in material, as most Christians in this day and age were, but his soul is brimming with life and vitality. God cares about our physical well-being, but more so he cares about our souls thriving. He doesn't want us to just gut out this existence on earth, but rather to enjoy our life in the Lord, through the Lord. And another thing that we see about Gaius is that he lived what he believed. He walked the walk. Some people from Gaius' church had told John about how both Gaius and the church had been faithful to the truth and walked in the truth. And this gave John great joy. Not only did he believe the truth, but he literally walked in the truth. He lived it out. Isn't this what we want for ourselves? To not be people of words, but of action? Isn't this what we want of our friends and our families, of church leaders? People not having just good words, but words that are actually lived out. This is the type of person that Gaius was. And this is the type of person the church needs today. Somebody who walks the walk, talks the talk. The third thing that we see about Gaius is that he's hospitable. He's a man of hospitality. It was used to spread the gospel in this day and age. In that culture, people didn't stay in inns. They were very, very sketchy places to be at best. There was no Airbnb at the time, no VRBO. And so what people would do is they would take letters of recommendation that were given to them about their character, about their reputation, And they would go into villages and they would go to strangers that they didn't know. And they would give them these recommendations in hopes that they would take them in. It was this rudimentary form of Airbnb. You take your reviews with you. Oh, I see you got four out of five scrolls here. I think you can stay with me. What about this? Okay. 
And so that's what they would do. They would take these letters. And so these men reported back to John that Gaius had served them well in this expression of love. He had taken believers in. He opened his homes to men and women that were spreading the gospel. And they told the church about his love. And then then John kind of amplifies it and says, please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. That means bless the heck out of them. Make sure that when they're on their way that their bags are full and all of their needs are met that they can do the work. Why? Because it's for the sake of the name. The sake of the name. It's interesting that 3 John is the only book in the New Testament that doesn't mention Jesus. But it does mention Jesus in a roundabout way. That it's his name that John is talking about. It is for his name's sake. He also reminds us that Gaius received no help from any of the pagans. He uses this term Gentile. This doesn't mean he refused help from them as some sort of policy. He didn't refuse help from non-believers as a policy, but he didn't support or solicit support from them as in, 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 in a way that was his habit. It was expected that God's people would take care and support God's work. And finally, John says, we all ought to have hospitality, hospitality to such people so that together we may work for the truth. Here's the reality. Not every one of us in here is called to be a missionary. Not every one of us is Jonathan and Lisa Ringer. Not every one of us is a pastor or an evangelist. But every one of us have a role to teach and proclaim the truth together. Much like in wartime, there are people that go to the front lines, but those frontline people are only as good as the supply lines. And so maybe God has not called you to be a frontline soldier, but you can always be a part of the supply line. You can always be about God's truth being proclaimed in this world. You may not be the most wealthiest person in the world, but you have abilities and resources that we can use for the sake of the name. You may not be able to write a huge check, but you can open your home. You can make a pot of soup. You can offer somebody a good night's sleep in your home. There's nothing more sad than a believer who is blessed with ability and resources, but who fail to use them. And so uh, can I encourage you to think about that? Will you make use of your time and treasure and talents? Will you make them available to God so that you can work together with others for the sake of the name? Maybe for you it's opening your home to, to Christian brothers and sisters, letting people use your home for God's glory. We certainly see this in the Christmas story. We see Mary and Joseph traveling from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Mary's pregnant under some very difficult circumstances. Lots of eyebrows are raised. There's probably lots of gossip. No doubt Mary and Joseph had family in the area of Bethlehem. We've seen how hospitality was an obligation. But but by the way, you may have read in some translations that Mary and Joseph attempted to stay at a room in the end They may believe you to say that, but decent people didn't go to inns. 
Literally, there were no guest rooms in Bethlehem. No get, archaeology has, has shown us that houses in Bethlehem, they would have a front entrance for guests, but in the back they would have caves that were homes of their beloved oxen and cattle. And this is where Mary and Joseph found themselves. They found themselves in a cave with ox and cows. Little did the people who took them in know that the Messiah would be born in their very home. The next man that we run across is this interesting man named Diotrephes. He's a man with a harmful agenda. John's words change when we approach this man. Diotrephes is another leader in the same church as Gaius. He was a problem not only to John, he was a problem to Gaius. He's very different from Gaius. Diotrephes loves himself more than anything else. Maybe you've been in a situation where you've been around people who love themselves more than anything else, where they try to figure out how to make the conversation about them above all else. Maybe you can take your feelings about that person and apply it onto Diotrephes. This is a man that is a struggle to be around. John's complaint about Diotrephes was that he loved to be first. He was driven by personal ambition. He loved to be up front. However, he wasn't a guy that was content with being in the background, contently, graciously working for the benefit of others. He wanted to be in the limelight. He was proud. He had great pride. John said that he wrote a message to the church, but Diotrephes had the arrogance and the gall to reject his own authority. Who rejects John's authority? Diotrephes refused to read John's letter. He might have even destroyed it. Whatever happened, the effect was to reject the instructions of John. And you can almost hear Diotrephes saying, I run this place. I'll, I'll be the judge of who comes and goes in this place. Very arrogant. I'm not dictated by anybody. Not even by John. Nobody puts baby in a corner is what this says. It's interesting that the name of Diotrephes is just as uncommon back then as it is today. It would have been a, a name that was in the, the families of, of wealthy people. Maybe it's this social prestige that's at the root of, of his behavior. Church should never, listen, it should never be a place where we make those kinds of distinctions. Church should never be a place where distinction in general matters. Personal ambition and pride lies at the root of most church problems. And I have to tell you that in my flesh, I have to guard myself against this. I like being up here. I like the fact that you have to listen to me right now. And it is easy to get jaded and arrogant in that. I like the fact that you think that all the good ideas around here might be my ideas. Truth is, they're not. But none of the bad ideas are my ideas, just so you know. I understand the battle of the flesh. Maybe Diotrephes is given in too. But we don't have to be controlled by the flesh. Christ gives us his wisdom. And Jesus was constantly dealing with this in his dealings with the disciples. Even the night in which Jesus was going to be betrayed and arrested, they were bickering over who would be the greatest in his kingdom. And in Matthew 23, Jesus says that the greatest among you will be your servant. It's not about stature. It's not about 
position. It's about service. And we've said this, and he's said this so many times, it just bounces off our heads what it means. Not only did Diotrephes love to be first, he was a gossip. He was a gossip. John says that he was spreading malicious nonsense about us. He's talking trash about John the apostle. What kind of arrogance do you have to have to talk trash about John, the beloved disciple? He said things that were not only spiteful, but were baseless. It was a character assassination. And it happened in the church. How the devil must rejoice over all of this. You know, C.S. Lewis writes this stellar novel called The Screwtape Letters, one of his most famous. And in it, he imagines listening to a speech that the devil gives to his comrades. And one of the lines in that book, Lewis writes, demon talking to his comrades, the fine flower of unholiness can only grow in the close neighborhood of the holy. Nowhere do we tempt so successfully as on the very steps of the altar. And I would add that one way that he does this is through gossip and lies. We should be careful how we speak about each other because it matters. It matters. Diotrephes wasn't content with his, his campaign of gossip. He wasn't content with just keeping his complaints to John. He also refused other believers. He did not welcome them. He resented their arrival as, as though he was scared that their ministry might overshadow his ministry, and so he rejected other missionaries. He wanted to be the one up in front in charge. He didn't want the church to benefit from what other people might give to them. He was determined to bolster his own position at all cost. He was more concerned about his glory than God's glory. And not only did he refuse missionaries and believers, anybody in his church that welcomed them, that cared for them, he kicked them out of the church. He excommunicated them. Now some of you in here have had bad experiences with churches. Maybe you still have wounds from things that happened in this very church. Maybe you've encountered leaders who are self-centered, divisive, jaded, prideful, power-hungry, and maybe at times even spiritually abusive. And so the question we ask is, what do you do with that? Isn't it interesting that Gaius and Diotrephes were in the same church? How can that be? How can this unhealthy and healthy person exist in the same church? Well, Jesus says that it shouldn't surprise us. Jesus once said to his disciples that the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seeds in his field. But while everyone was asleep, the enemy came and sowed weeds amongst the wheat and went away. In the gospel of Matthew 13. It wasn't until harvest that the weeds were separated from the wheat. And this is what's going on here in this letter. This was a weed amongst the wheat. And so instead of us getting delusioned about the church, I heard too many times the negativity about church people, churches. Look, we're all imperfect people. Seen too many times people moving from church to church, 
We ought to expect this from time to time. But listen, it doesn't mean that we don't do anything about it. John's solution here isn't to sit back and to do nothing about it. He's going to come and deal with Diotrephes face to face. And I'm sure that John will do it in some redemptive way. He'll speak love and truth, seasoned with grace, but he refuses to stay silent. And I would say the same is true for you and I. When we see weeds, we can't ignore them. We bring gospel truth with love and grace to it. And then the last person that is explicitly wrote about in this text is a man named Demetrius. And Demetrius is a man with a good testimony. We read about him in verses 11 and 12, and most likely Demetrius would have been the bearer of this letter. He would have been the one that has been taking this letter to Gaius. John doesn't say a whole lot about Demetrius, but what he says is important. First of all, he says that he's well spoken about by everyone. Now, now that's not always a good thing to be spoken about well about by everybody, but it is in this situation. Secondly, this testimony about him was confirmed not just by those who knew him, but by the truth itself. The truth he professed was embodied in his life. He talked the talk and he walked the walk. He lived it. This is a guy who took his faith seriously. He reads his Bible. He was committed to fellowship of believers. He gave time and resources to fellow brothers and sisters. He confessed his sins. That's the kind of man that we're talking about here. That's who Demetrius was. And then John says, we also speak well of him. And we, you know that our testimony is true. This alone would have been enough for, for Gaius. Well, John said he's good. If he's with John, he's, with, he's good with me. If John said it, he knew that he could trust him. And then in verse 11, John says, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. In other words, don't imitate guys like Diotrephes. Don't be a Diotrephes. Imitate guys like Demetrius. Why? Why? Because you know those who do not do what is good are from God, as he says. And those who do not do good have not seen God. He's not saying that we physically have seen God. Very abstractly, that they've seen him in his heart. And then lastly, there's a man named John. I don't know about you guys, but I have grown in love with John in these three letters. He is a pastor of pastors. He has a pastor heart. And throughout these letters, John, through positive and negative examples, has painted a portrait of a good, godly leadership. He has shown us the balance of belief and behavior that is necessary if we are to be a faithful witness to King Jesus. He's revealed to us a pastor's heart. And as he brings this letter to a close, that heart of love and compassion continues to shine brightly. He desires greatly to be in the presence of fellow believers with a full and abundant heart. John longs to come and visit Gaius and his friends. He will embrace Gaius, and then he will confront Diotrephes. Pen and ink are nice, but they're not enough. John wanted to see them face to face. Literally translates to mouth to mouth. John wanted to be up close with his children. Wanted to visit them. You know, sometimes I think where we trend in the area of churches concerns me as we move more and more to cyber online churches, 
that are loosely connected over dial-up connections. Who has dial-up anymore? Connections over the internet. I fear that we will lose the intimacy and the love that is necessary, that comes from being face-to-face with other believers. So that's why we don't have live video of our services. We want people to be together. Because in rubbing up against each other, we vastly, greatly improve our lives together. And as he closed, John expresses this concern for peace, something that Diotrephes has robbed this church from. They knew the situation with Diotrephes, and they stood with John. And the only place in the New Testament that believers are called friends here is in this letter. Perhaps it's reflecting back on John 15, 13, when Jesus says that no love is greater than this, that someone lay his life down for his friends. This is what John is referring to. And then finally, John says, say hello to everyone. One by one, name by name, like John who reflected the heart of God, who saved us one by one, we too should love and care in the same manner, one by one. To do so is to cultivate a good reputation. Name by name. To do so is to live a life that brings praise to the name of Jesus. So let me ask you this. Who do you imitate? Who do you imitate? All of us, whether you know this or not, imitate others. Who do you imitate? Who do you surround yourself with? Who are the examples in your life that you follow? Are they people like Gaius? Or are they people like Diotrephes? Maybe God is calling you to be an example for others. Paul told believers in the time of his writings, to imitate him as he was imitating Christ. And so today, I ask you, as you consider those three introspective questions, how do you perceive yourself? How do you think others perceive you? And what do you think God thinks about you? That maybe, just maybe, it's time for you to walk in the wisdom of God instead of your own. Maybe John's letter here might be a starting point for you today. Today to say, I desire to change my reputation by walking in the wisdom of God instead of my own wisdom. Wisdom that is revealed in these four men written in John's letter. We may not ever be as great as Gaius, but the good thing is we're not called to be. We're just called to be his and to walk in his wisdom that was given to us by his great love. Jesus paid it all, not for you to flounder in your own determination of your own wisdom, but rather by grace, you could always have another chance to walk in God's wisdom. So today, our friend John gives us some great examples that should press on our hearts as we consider how we want to serve God in this world. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we just come to you today and we confess that we are grossly negligent and caring about your wisdom sometimes, how we walk by your power. And so, Lord, our aim is that we would glorify you in the world, on the earth, in our, 
our nation, in our state, in our city, in our neighborhoods. And so God, will you help us to consider our reputation? What might others write about us in a letter? Would they describe us the way that John glowingly describes Gaius? Or might we be a diotrephes? And so Lord, will you give us conviction around our shortcomings today that we might by your sacrifice choose to walk in your wisdom today, to redefine by your gospel who we are and how we are known. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.